scripture today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of our Lord. Well, we continue this morning in this series on forgiveness. And as we do, we come to a, uh, a challenging and fascinating passage. It is one that, uh, that leaves us with action. So I would just say to you uh, this morning that uh, there's no way to come to Romans 12 and not leave without having to do something, without having to act. There's an old saying that goes, revenge is sweet, a dish best served cold. Almost everyone at some point in your life will find yourself on the bad end of a relationship deal gone bad. Someone will get angry at you. You will have an enemy. The enemy could be somebody you love dearly a husband or a wife who cheated, a family member who used you, or worse, abused you, a friend who deserted you and stabbed you in the back. The enemy may be a boss who manipulated and controlled you, or a neighbor who could never be satisfied, or may even be the horrible situation of sexual abuse. Enemies can arise from the most unexpected places in life. Please hear me. How you respond to your enemies will either be a breeding ground for evil or a place where you can sow grace and watch the flower of the gospel bloom against the backdrop of thorns and thistles. I'll say it again. How you respond to your enemies can be a breeding ground for evil or a place where you sow grace and watch the flower of the gospel bloom against the background of thorns and thistles. This passage is an evil sandwich. You say, what in the world do you mean? Look at verse 17 and then look at verse 21. In Verse 17, evil is mentioned twice. In verse 21, evil is mentioned twice. And so in Scripture, there's a fancy word for this. If you want to know, in the study of Scripture, it's called inclusio. The writer, on purpose, puts something at the beginning, something at the end, so everything in the middle is a response to what is at the beginning and a response to what is at the end. Between the evil mentioned in 17 and 21 lies a counterintuitive response. Between the evil 
lies or response that goes against the human grain but portrays the gospel. And in that counterintuitive response in the middle are two commands. And here they are. Number one, don't retaliate, live at peace. Don't retaliate, live at peace. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In the original Greek, no one comes first. Meaning, no one, not anyone, not now, not ever repay evil for evil. It is an absolute prohibition for the believer to do that. It is not your task to repay anyone for the evil that they have done to you. That is not your task to take vengeance into your own hands. Why? Look at it. Honorable in the sight of all. The only place we are told in Scripture to imitate God, Ephesians 4, is connected with forgiveness. It is the only place in Scripture we are told to imitate God. You and I are walking billboards for God. He is not here in flesh any longer. He is not walking around on feet with eyes looking and hands reaching. No, his eyes, his hands, and his feet are yours. If you belong to him, you are the eyes, you are the mouth, you are the hands, you are the feet. The church is the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we are walking around billboards for him. When we retaliate, we become bad advertisement, bad publicity. When we retaliate, <clears throat> God looks bad. God looks bad. I've quoted this before in this series. We are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, but when, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what is the day of visitation? It could be then, it could be later. If it's then, it's the day that God visits them and knocks on the door of their heart and shows them their sin. And when he does, they'll go, oh, 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 there's Jane. I remember how Jane loved me when I was unloving toward her. And, and I, I now understand where Jane's coming from. And I want what Jane had. We are walking billboards for God. God has no plan B. We are his plan A. When I went to grad school, it was a time when, for, though I came to Christ when I was 15, no one ever discipled me. It's why we're passionate about you being in a group and being discipled, that you don't flounder and wonder, as I did for years, eight years to be exact, uh, as a baby Christian, didn't, wasn't fed, didn't know, just floundered. But then, 
I get into a church and God begins to drill down deep in my soul, in my heart. He begins to do a work in me that is thankfully never ended, just never stopped. At the same time, I land a job working for the assistant vice president of the University of South Carolina. His name was Mark. I was just a simple peon graduate assistant. I remember sitting down with him to interview for this job. <clears throat> and when I did, Mark, with his very pressed shirt, I, I recall he used uh, his dry cleaners was on the high starch end, right? You, you couldn't put a pen in his pocket. Very pressed. He looked across the table at me and he said, I hear you're a Christian. I said, I am. He said, uh, well, I'm not. I said, okay. He said, uh, this is not a Christian office. I said, okay. He said, uh, I at times will use words you may find offensive. I said, okay. And then he went through them. One by one. If I say, he filled in the word, how will you feel? If I say, and he went from the low end to the very high, awful words that you never want to hear anyone say. I said, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, God was just bubbling over in me. You see, I was growing and just knowing him like I'd never known him before. There was this new found love of the Lord. And so it was that day after day when I went into work, what he prepped me for was, it was good onboarding. Uh, that's how he talked. That's how he acted. I quickly became known as the Holy Roller, as whoever in the office. It was full of liberal people who did not believe the gospel, did not believe Christ. Uh, that quickly became who I was. It was in the course of that time that God, by His grace, called me into Christian ministry. Here I am getting my master's degree, uh, going to be a college administrator. That's my desire. And God began to deal with me and work. And I had everything mapped out and he had another plan. Finally, when after months I said yes to his plan, when I was home, I remember driving back and thinking, how will I tell Mark the decision I've made? He's going to look at me. Mark had grown to respect me academically, invited me into a writing venture with him. He and I had co-authored a chapter that was going into a book on higher ed. We were, I was just killing it in my academic degree. It was, everything was paved, right? How in the world am I going to tell Mark? I remember walking in that Monday morning and I gathered everybody in because I only wanted to say it once. And so they came in, and I said, I have an announcement to make. They kind of leaned in. They knew I was interviewing for jobs, had landed a job. At 24 years of age, I was assistant dean of a college. And they knew I was on my way. And so when I looked at them, I thought, they're going to think I'm an idiot because I'm getting ready to call that college and tell them no, that I'm not coming, and I'm going to have a redirect, a major redirect in my life. And I still recall standing in that office looking at them, and I said, well, God has called me to the ministry. I will not be pursuing this career. I will become a pastor. There was moments of awkward silence, and then Mark 
said, well, I guess you're going from higher education to highest education. Like, wow, did you take a sedative before you came to work? <laughs> like, who are you? I was his personal assistant all year, did his bidding, whatever he needed. That was my job. So he invited me to dinner before it was time for me to leave. And I go to his house. And you know, when you have this conviction, you ought to pray before you eat, but you're going to eat with pagans. Have you ever experienced that? And you're like, what do you do? Well, I committed to praying under my breath. You know, while they were passing, I'd say, Lord, thank you for this food. You know, kind of deal. Well, we get ready to eat, and I get ready to dig in, and we're sitting around their round dining table, and I'm ready to eat. And I look around, and all of a sudden, all, everybody, his wife, his kids, their hands are joined. And he said, would you grab hands? We've started praying at our table, and uh, we'd like for you to pray for us. You would. I prayed the gospel. Like the food got cold. I thought this is my one and only chance. And you've asked and I'm going in. And I bowed my head and I prayed from the cradle to the cross to the empty tomb to the return of Christ to here it is right here in that moment. Why did I have that opportunity? I am convinced it was a non-retaliatory spirit in front of a non-believer day in and day out that God, because I was so tender, had given me. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I wish I could say all my stories have been that good. I've had to apologize to more than one person with whom I was not as godly. Don't retaliate, live at peace, command number two. Don't take revenge, serve. Wow. Beloved, never. Do you see these absolute negatives? Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I, I want to ask you a question. Why can't you and I repay? Why can we not do it? Two words, perfectly just. God is perfectly just. And since he has never sinned, he knows not how to approach a sinner from a sinner's point of view. He doesn't do that. He's never sinned. He only approaches sinners from a perfectly just point of view. So he alone is able to judge rightly. We have judges all over our land, and they judge to their best ability, but never perfectly. Why? They're imperfect people. They're unrighteous. They are guilty of sin, as is the person who's standing in front of them. But there is one judge who's never missed it, never blown it, never sinned, never failed. He alone can judge perfectly. 
Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it, what? Just. To repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Some of you have suffered unjustly or you are suffering unjustly. And every human bone in you says revenge. Right? Revenge. I'll get my revenge. I want to say to you, if you get yours here, you will not enjoy the grace of God in your suffering. That What it says here is that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. If someone is afflicting you, God will pay them back. Now, having said that, I am convinced that it isn't godly every day to pray, God get them. I'm just convinced of that. I'm convinced that if you wake up every morning and go, God, I'm claiming the promise of 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7. Wreck their world, wreck their car, uh, wreck their lives, do something to them today. No. We, We trust a just God to be just in his own time. In his own time. How long could it take when Jesus comes back? That's what that verse says. Cranfield says, when we recall what God has done for us, when we were enemies, we cannot but hope that his mercy will finally embrace those who are now enemies. I'm just going to say to you, if you'll live in light of the gospel, if you'll live in light of your own lostness and your own sinfulness, you will want those who have hurt you to be forgiven. I do not wish to present myself any better than I am as I preach. As I shared at the outset of this sermon series, I've struggled to forgive people. I've made a list of people at the beginning of this series I've needed to forgive. I've got one more that I have to reach out to. Did you hear how I said that? Have to. Don't want to, but I have to. Pulled up his email address today. This morning as I was praying through this sermon on my computer, knowing that if I'm going to be obedient, I have to email him. I do. I do. Mistreated my daughter horribly as a coach. And I've got to release him. I know I have to. Right? I just know that. And there have been those times when by the grace of God... I've done okay. Years ago, wronged deeply, my mother showed up and she said, there are four verses and if you'll land on these, you'll finish well. It's like, okay. I was in a low, low place and I opened those verses up and every single one of them has to do with revenge and that it belongs to the Lord. Everyone like, wow, that's it? It's just revenge belongs to the Lord. Don't, don't do it yourself. It's the Lord's. Mom said, that's it. If you'll land on these, you'll finish well. If you'll land on these. So I landed. And I took them. And I prayed them. 
And I beg God to help me to live them out. God, help me to live them out. Some of you know the story. It's two years after that. I'm in a steakhouse in Marion. And somebody's car is going off. All right. That's the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, all right. So, whoever gets up, we know you got somebody to forgive. And we're, we now can't wait. You're just going to let it go off the whole rest of the service because you ain't going to be the one. All right. But at any rate, it stopped because you did it. For, yeah. All right. So, so. I'm in Steakhouse in Marion, and this woman comes in who had hurt me deeply, really badly. And I was with Steve Williams, and the Lord said, Jerry, buy her lunch. And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, yes. And I said, no. And that went back and forth. And I don't know if you've ever argued with him, but he usually wins. Just saying. He's big. I'm not demeaning him. Right, He's amazing. Right? God's so good. So I looked across at Steve. I said, Steve, I I cannot explain to you the full story, but I I just would say to you, the Lord is telling me to buy that woman lunch. And a couple years ago, she hurt me deeply. And uh, I'm going to do what he says to do. And so keeping to the letter of the law, the Lord didn't tell me I had to say who I was. So I called the waitress over and I said, that woman that went that way, that's sitting over there, I need to buy her lunch. If you'll bring her her ticket to me, I'll be glad to do that. She said, okay. So back in the day when the steakhouse was open, you walked around and there was this little cutout room there that you had to walk by. Those of you who are old school Murray and people know what I'm talking about. And that's where Steve and I were sitting. And I had the ticket in hand. And all of a sudden, I hear not crying, but wailing and weeping coming across the steakhouse. I went, oh my. And she walks into that room. And she looks at me and she said, you bought my lunch, didn't you? I said, not yet. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I did not say that. Promise. I said, yes, ma'am, I did. Her next words, why would you ever do that for me after what I've done to you? I said, the Lord told me to. She said, I can finally sleep tonight. It's been two years. I had lost, I think, two or three nights of sleep in those two years. She had not slept, evidently. I must say to you, I mean this, if I had known that, I'd have gone to her two years ago. I'd have gone to her. last thing I'd ever want her to do is lose sleep over that. I mean that. That's what the Lord had done in me. This requires forgiveness on our part. Here's this definition from Thomas Watson. Oh, When do we forgive others? When we strive against all thoughts of revenge. When we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, 
grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. That's when we've forgiven. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Literally, right? Steakhouse Marion. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. These are Jesus' words. Paul is echoing them here. What does it mean to heap burning coal? Some of you are like, oh, oh, you do that. And like their head's going to burn, you know, they're just going to feel awful. I, I don't think that's the point. To heap burning coals means you cause the enemy to blush with shame and remorse. And this might lead to repentance. Yeah, they might just give their life to Christ. They might just repent of their sin. Isn't this counterintuitive? Doesn't make any sense, right? They wrong you, you wrong them back. They hit you, hit them back, right? If you got kids, that's what they do, right? You spend all your growing up years like, no, 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 you don't hit them back, right? But what, what does Paul end with this sandwich? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A true mark of being in the family of God is love for one's enemies. Here it is. If you want to know what makes us different in this room, from all the people in this county who don't know Christ and in Buncombe County and in Burke County and Rutherford and all the counties uh, up the mountain, all the people from where you come, do you know what makes us different? This is, we forgive. We are forgiving people. It is in our culture. It is in our DNA. You say, how? How? Well, it's Sunday. The crowds gather. They line the roads. The Macy's Day Parade hasn't seen a crowd ever excited like this. They press into every crevice and corner, wanting one look, one glance, a longing glaze toward their newfound king. It may be Sunday, but Friday's coming. Jesus, seemingly unaware of the buzz in the air, the noise in the street, quietly instructs his disciples to find him a donkey. They'll find a donkey in a nearby village, untie it, bring it to him. He says, if anyone questions you, tell them the Lord needs it. It may be Sunday, but Friday's coming. The disciples did exactly as Jesus instructed them to do. They didn't know, but Jesus knew that he was to ride on a donkey. Zechariah, well, he, 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 he predicted that. Uh, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It may be Sunday, but Friday's coming. The disciples took their own coats and put them on the donkey's back. They made that ride soft for Jesus, his seat comfortable. Jesus ascended the Mount of Olives and into the crowded street. The crowd cheered, the people shouted, they ran to the trees and cut palm branches. It may be Sunday, but uh, Friday's coming. 
palm branches weren't enough. The shouts of Hosanna, our Savior, uh, they weren't enough. The people took their coats off and threw them into the street. Jesus couldn't ride on a dirty street. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It may be Sunday, but Friday's coming. Jesus wove his way through the crowd down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley into that northern gate, throwing their coats in his path, waving their palm branches. They shouted to one another, Who is this? And on the other side, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Who is this? Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Who is this? Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. It may be Sunday, but Friday's coming. So much can happen between Sunday and Friday. Hosanna Highway turned into the Via Dolorosa. Hosanna's turned into shouts of crucified. Sunday was gone. Friday was here. Those who once waved palm branches now raised their fists. Crucify him, they said. Crucify him. Sunday was gone. Friday had come. Those who threw their coats on the ground took his coat and the rest of his clothes from him. He stood there naked. Sunday was gone and Friday had come. Those who worshipped him on Sunday and wagged, they wagged their heads at him on Friday. Those who gave up their coats wouldn't give him a drink of water when he screamed in thirst. Those who called him king now mocked him for pretending to be one. Sunday was gone and Friday had come. What would he do? What would he say? Jesus, how are you going to respond it's one thing to enjoy Sunday, but, but Jesus, what are you going to do on Friday? His words are chiseled into history. Jesus' first words, not his second. His first words, not his third, not his seventh. His first words were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It was Sunday, but Friday come. His second saying was meant for the naked criminal dying for awful crimes hanging beside him. Truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Friday had come. His fourth saying from the cross, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? The answer, Jesus' first and second sayings. If Jesus is going to take an awful convicted criminal in and make him one of his boys, God can't look at that. And if Jesus is going to look at you and you and you and you who were shouting on Sunday, uh, Hosanna, and shouting on Friday, crucify him, there's no way he can do that. And God, look on. Sunday was gone. Friday had come. Then came those words, those words that summed up Jesus' act on the cross. It is finished. What was finished? Your forgiveness, 
my forgiveness, your forgiveness, my forgiveness. How dare we sing on Sunday and wag our heads on Friday? How dare we sing on Sunday and refuse to forgive on Friday? How dare we come into this place and enjoy the gift of the cross? Enjoy the Jesus who bled and who died naked for our sins and look at our brother or our sister who has offended us and say, I cannot give you what Jesus gave to me. I cannot do for you what Jesus did for me. I cannot extend to you what Jesus extended to me. You might say on the cross that Jesus overcame evil with what, church? Good. And he's raised up a whole bunch of people whose job it is to do what? Overcome evil with what, church? Overcome evil with what, church? It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat by Jesus. They robed him in scarlet. They crowned him with thorns, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning, and evil is grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail his feet to the cross, and then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, church. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king, and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday, and Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, let alone in dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. Uh, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin is conquered. And Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's only Friday. It's only Friday. And church, we're going to stand up and sing right now about the Sunday that came. It's only Friday. But Sunday's coming. Amen? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming.